please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and uh, this is a passage we're looking at here, verses 12 through 13, um, the need for respecting and esteeming pastoral leadership, uh, which is admittedly an awkward uh, passage to, to preach this morning. Uh, but in God's providence, we're studying it right in the middle of Pastoral Appreciation Month. Uh, which you might not have known that that was uh, that was the thing. I, I'm not even making this up. It's one of those hallmark uh, hallmark holidays, and uh, I actually f- I forgot it was a thing. But then someone gave me a candy bar uh, in my in my mail slot. So uh, whoever that was, thank you. I appreciate that. You're probably thinking, well, that was for Indigenous Peoples Days. So uh, I don't know about that. But uh, but this is the uh, the interesting thing about preaching expositional sermons is that we just preach the next passage. Uh, that, that, that comes to us. So that's where we are this morning. So I didn't select this uh, intentionally, but uh, it's our next passage of study here, verses 12 and 13. So let's, uh, let's read these verses together, and then let's, uh, let's, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our, on our time. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the time to be gathered as brothers and sisters this morning, and uh, we know that everything you say in your word is true and should be uh, acted upon as true. So give us the wisdom to understand what is before us and uh, the grace to, to apply it in our, in our lives this morning. So we ask your help uh, to set aside distractions and to focus on you and you alone. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so there are some passages that address the need for leadership. Uh, as you work through the New Testament, you're aware of these passages like 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says, if anyone aspires to an office of overseer, it's a noble thing that he pursues. And then he goes on to give the qualifications for pastoral leadership must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, etc. Moving on, you'll be familiar with other passages like this, like Titus chapter 1, I left you in Crete to appoint elders in, in every city, therefore an elder must be, and then it goes into the qualifications, or First Peter 5, you know, uh, shepherd the flock of God, uh, exercising oversight, not of compulsion, but out of, out of love and, and care for the people. So there are numerous passages that address... Uh, the, the roles and responsibilities and the, the qualifications of, of leadership. But then there are also passages, maybe less familiar passages to us, that address the responsibility to be good followers of leadership. And that's what we have in verses 12 and 13 this morning, how it is to, uh, to follow in a way that, that pleases the Lord. Now why, and as to come to this passage Uh, thinking through this question, why does Paul address this topic at this point in his letter? And how does it relate to the previous context that has just come before it? 
Well, the answer is that, that Paul has, has just addressed the topic of, of end times. Uh, he has addressed the rapture. He has addressed the day of the Lord. And in light of, of, of those things, he finishes in verse 11 and he, and he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And then from there, he transitions immediately into this exhortation to respect and esteem those who are over you in the Lord. And then he moves on in verse 14 to say, uh, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So it would seem that what Paul's saying in, in really in verses 12 to 14 is that in light of Christ's return, we are to be about encouraging one another and building one another up. And then Paul takes that admonition and he goes in two directions. One, toward building up your pastors, and two, toward building up everyone else in the body of Christ, right? So pastoral, uh, building up pastors, verses 12 and 13, verse 14, building everyone else up. And so what do we have here specifically in verses 12 to 13 is this call to build up your leaders by acknowledging them, by esteeming them highly in love, and by living peacefully. So learning to follow well is a characteristic that is worth pursuing. Now the reality is, no matter how high in leadership we climb, there will always be the responsibility to take orders or have to listen to someone else. And the, the better we are at this, the smoother things go for us. I was thinking uh, about this concept this week, and I was reminded of of a lesson that I learned from my father uh, back in my younger days. Uh, Now, this may surprise you, but in in school, I I had an occasional run-in with a a teacher or two, all right? So, um, to be clear, the vast majority of those situations was my my own behavior or lack of, of good behavior. I remember this one time we, we were pretty rowdy in the study hall and the, the teacher said, Joey, take your desk and, and put it outside the room. So I was like, I picked up my desk and I sit outside the room and I walked back in. I was like, now where am I supposed to sit? You know? <laughs> so there were those kinds of moments where it usually led to, you know, led to, my, uh, led to, to some sort of conflict. Occasionally, though, occasionally, the personality of the teacher uh, would contribute to the, to the conflict. And I'm not saying always, but, but occasionally. But never did my dad take my side in the conflict. He always took the side of, of, of my leaders. And it was frustrating at times. He was always supportive of, of their leadership. And I, I'm sure that if he had a legitimate concern or he wanted to maybe uh, you know address an issue he would have done it with that teacher personally and he would have never degraded the teacher in front of me teaching me that it was okay to to degrade a, a an authority that I didn't disagree with and I think he knew that degrading another's authority would undermine his own authority because I would learn that it's okay to run down those in leadership with whom I disagree I hope I've learned that lesson from my father over the years of how to be a good follower. And honestly, this is not something we think much about. What, what does it look like to follow leadership well? And when was the last time you reflected on 
your job or your home situation and ask the question of, of what, what it looks like or, or what kind of individual am I? Right? Am I the kind of employee that brings joy and profit to, to the boss? Right? What, what would the boss? How would the boss answer that question? Am I the type of, of, of wife that breathes joy and life into marriage or would it be better for my husband to live on the corner of the rooftop than to live in a quarrelsome home with a quarrelsome wife? I remember occasionally, I remember not long ago, we had a neighbor, uh, and they were, they were arguing, uh, having a fight. They, they no longer live there, so I, in case any of my neighbors tune in for this, right? So uh, he was on the roof sitting, and she was yelling at him from the ground, and Julie was walking by, and she called me, she said, you know, this couple's having a, a fight, and he's sitting on the roof, and she's yelling at him. And I said, like Proverbs says, it's better live on the corner of a rooftop than in a house with a quarrelsome wife. True, true story. And Julie wasn't even that impressed with my biblical knowledge at, at that moment, but I was really impressed with, my, with myself. So what kind of wife are you? The kind of wife that breathes joy and, 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 and life into the marriage. What kind of child are you? Are you always pushing the boundaries with your parents, or would they say that it's a pleasure to parent you? See, being a good follower is a characteristic to which we should inspire, and it makes life uh, pleasant for everyone when we are. So, so there's the old saying, in life, be a fountain, not a drain. Well, the same goes for following leadership. We should be fountains, not a drain. Now, in this passage, Paul is addressing believers in the local church and asking them to acknowledge and esteem those who are serving them in the Lord. So the particular question that Paul's asking here, that Paul wants us to ask, or wants you to ask this morning, is what kind of church member am I, and, and what kind of follower am I of pastoral leadership? Am I building them up by recognizing their responsibility to lead and care for me? Do I esteem them highly? In other words, what kind of follower am I? There's an interesting passage in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, probably familiar with it. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. But the interesting and humorous thing about that passage is the next phrase that comes. It says, Let them do this with joy... And not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, the interesting thing and humorous thing about this particular verse is the, the command is not directed toward pastors. He doesn't say pastor with joy. The command is actually issued to the congregation. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. So there's a connection between the attitude and actions of members and the joy of their, their pastors. So you should be asking, do I follow my leadership in such a way that I allow them to do their job with joy? Or, when they see my name on the caller ID, do they groan? Oh man, not Tom Rowe again. No, you know. <laughs> This is the third time this week, right? <laughs> so we want to ask this question. All right, so, so this morning we're going to consider three ways to build up your pastors according to this passage. Number one, recognize their God-given responsibility. Number two, esteem them highly in love. And number three, strive to live peaceably, thus enabling them to serve with joy. 
Let's begin with the first one in verse 12. He says, we see here that in order to build up our pastors, we recognize their God-given responsibility. So as we begin to unpack this verse, we notice immediately the tone that Paul uses when he gives these instructions. His first words are these. We ask you, brothers. So notice he's not commanding them here. He could command them, but he's not commanding them. Rather, he's, he's urging them or appealing to them to recognize their God-given leaders. There's a sense in which, rather than commanding him, what he really wants them to do is he wants them to embrace this on their own, voluntarily, that he's asking them to do this so that they embrace this, that, that, that following pastoral leadership in this case is actually going to be a benefit to themselves and it's going to be a benefit to the work of God if they are good followers. So he's appealing to them and asking them to, to do this. Now, once he's set the tone, he mentions two specific requests, one in verse 12 and one in verse 13. Right? In verse 12, to respect those who labor, and then in verse 13, to esteem them very highly. Okay, so he, he, let's look at the first one. He says in verse 12, the, the first thing he asks is that they respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, clearly he's talking about pastoral leadership in this phrase. He uses the phrase, those who are over you in the Lord. Now, that word over is used in other contexts for pastoral leadership, right? So it's used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, when, when you read these words. Uh, he must manage, it's that word manage, he must manage his own house well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage, there's our word over again, his own household, how will he care for God's church? Okay? The word being over you is also used in 1 Timothy 5, 17, when he says, let elders who rule, he's used in rule here, let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. So clearly Paul's talking about pastoral leadership in, in these verses of, of verse 12 and 13. Now the question we have to ask when we come here is, is how is it that there were already elders serving in a pastoral capacity here in the congregation of, of Thessalonica? Especially considering the, the, the short amount of time that the Apostle Paul was present and had to, had to leave prematurely because of persecution. Well, you'll remember that, that it was Paul's practice when a new church was established to, as quickly as possible, appoint elders over those churches. Right? You remember in Acts chapter 14, on their, their first mission trip, he comes back to, to the, the cities to which they evangelized, and they, it says before they went home, they appointed elders in, in all the churches in, in these cities. Now, it seems surprising that capable leadership could be, uh, could be set up in these churches so quickly. But we have to remember that many of the early converts were coming out of the Jewish synagogue. These are individuals who knew their Bibles well. And when they came to Christ, it wasn't so much that they were learning everything from scratch, but rather they were, it was more of an idea of connecting dots now, seeing Christ as the fulfillment of all these Old Testament promises. And so there were, there were God-fearing individuals who knew their scripture as well, so it was uh, not, not a, 
it was, it was an easy enough task to establish elders in these churches rather than having to teach these individuals everything from, from scratch. And so that's why we see, as these churches were established, that leadership was established quite quickly. However, it is possible that the church in Thessalonica did not have leaders, right? So Paul was there just a brief amount of time. Persecution arises almost immediately, and Paul and Silas and Timothy are forced out of the city of Thessalonica. So it's possible that these churches didn't have, have leadership. But remember that at the time that Paul's writing this letter of 1 Thessalonians, Timothy has just returned from, from visiting them and, and, and helping them in their ministry. So it may be that Timothy has just recently appointed leaders in these churches in Thessalonica. You remember, this was Titus's responsibility when he went to Crete, right? Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So it's possible that, that Timothy has just set up biblical leadership in this church. Now he comes back to give Paul the, this report, and now Paul writes to encourage them to recognize the leaders that God has placed in their life. Now it's my personal opinion that this is likely the case. Timothy has just appointed these leaders in this young church, and now Paul writes these instructions to build this church up. Now notice the word respect here in the ESV. It says, now respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. The word respect here in Greek is, is literally the word to know. In fact, if you hold a King James Version, this is what it says. He says, to, to know them. And, and in this context, probably the best translation or the best idea of, of this word to know is really to know or to acknowledge. To acknowledge or to, to recognize their leaders. Right? If these individuals were just newly appointed to this position, then the believers in Thessalonica would need to be encouraged to embrace them to acknowledge them, or to recognize them in, in the Lord. So what Paul is encouraging here, I, I think, is more than what the ESV lets on to. Okay, it's, it's more than just respect them. Okay, it's, it's more than just make sure you don't use their first name and make sure you call them pastor. Okay, it's, it's more than just this idea of respect. Paul is calling them to recognize their God-given role in the assembly and their responsibility as pastors. And he's saying this, that they happily place themselves under the care of these men. Okay, that, that's the idea here of, of, of recognizing. Okay? You see the difference between being respectful and actually recognizing the role that God's given these individuals and happily placing yourself under their leadership. And that's what Paul's saying here when he says to recognize your leaders. Or acknowledge your leaders. Now, verse 12 continues, and Paul says three things about pastoral ministry in, in verse 12. Okay, he says to, 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 to respect these individuals, but then he describes these individuals in three terms. Okay? If you go back to verse 12, he says this, respect those who labor among you, first. Secondly, who are over you in the Lord. And thirdly, who admonish you. Okay, so we learn three things about pastoral ministry in these verses. The first is that it is hard work. Okay, Paul refers to pastors as those 
who, and he says here, who labor among you. Now, the word used here refers to, to manual labor or to hard work. And it's really quite common for, you, for Paul to use this word labor or work in association with the work of the ministry. Right? He talks about Paul uh, and, and Apollos and, and Peter and, and watering and, and planting. And, and he gives these analogies of, of, of work, of manual labor in terms of, of ministry. In, in chapter 3 and verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians... Paul was concerned that when he had to leave Thessalonica early, that the, the tempter would have tempted these individuals, and he says this, his fear was that his labor would be in vain. So he uses this phrase of, of work quite commonly when he talks about pastoral ministry. Now, the work of ministry is, is very, very hard work. Now, in, it has many facets to it. It's, it involves leading, it involves shepherding, it involves preaching, teaching, counseling. And when I say this, it's, it's not that other jobs are not more difficult or strenuous or require more, that they don't require more skill and ability because they do. But with pastoral ministry, there is a unique weight uh, that comes with it that, that makes the responsibility different. There's a weight on the shoulders of those who serve in this capacity uh, to shepherd well those that God has placed in, in, in his care. I'm reminded of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He describes, he's describing his troubles in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and he goes on, he's like, 39 lashes, beaten with rods, stone, shipwrecked, dangers of robbers, and hardships, sleepless nights without food, in cold, and exposure. And he's, he's going on about all these things he's experienced. And at the end of that passage, there's this one thing that stands out to me the most. He says this in, in 2 Corinthians 11, 11, 28. He says, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And the way Paul words it, it's almost like this is the most pressing thing on him, right? He's experienced all these other hardships, but in addition to that, there's the daily pressure of my concern for the people of God. And that's what, that's what, that's what it really means to serve in pastoral ministry. There's something of a pressure that, that, that you feel the pressure that Paul's talking about here. To be a young pastor is to know this to some degree, but there's a sense in which every year in ministry is like another ring around the tree. And you can almost say that with every year, the weight of ministry increases year by year. I'm reminded of what John Brown, a, a seasoned minister in Scotland, wrote in a letter to one of his disciples uh, who had just took on a new congregation that was very small. And he, said, he writes this to him in a letter. He says... I know the vanity of your heart and that you will feel mortified that your congregation is very small in comparison with those of your brethren around you. But assure yourself, he says, on the word of an old man, that when you come to give an account of them to the Lord Christ at his judgment seat, you will think you have had enough. And you can hear the wisdom and experience of this older, older seasoned pastor of something of the weight of shepherding God's people. Now, I don't say these things to, to garner your pity for us this morning. After all, we've signed up 
for this. But we do ask for your understanding. Understanding that this can be a very challenging task. There are great joys, but there comes with it great difficulties. Which is why the author of Hebrews says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. So the first thing Paul says here is that the work of ministry is hard work. But the second thing he says here is that it, it does involve leadership. Right? So the next thing he says, he says, acknowledge those who, and he uses this phrase, who are over you in the Lord. Now we've already noted this word over. It, it implies leadership. It's, uh, it, it really has the idea of, of leading or protecting or caring as it's used through, through other contexts. And it gives the idea that those who are appointed as pastors have been given the responsibility to lead God's church. Now, we live in a day where leadership is extremely undervalued. Okay? We live in a world that increasingly looks at individuals in two categories, oppressed and the oppressor. And so leadership is just seen in a lot of circles as just a, a way of, a, of oppressing people into getting them to do what you want to do. Another challenge to leadership today is, is we live in our social media age, and, and so when leaders fail, it becomes very public, and we're, we're able to have knowledge of, of individuals who fail over and, and over again. And so every time a, another leader fails, trust in leadership erodes. And so, when we talk about leadership, we need to be careful to understand it in a biblical sense, that it is, it is a biblical concept, it is a biblical idea, something that God has established for the health of, of his church. But, but leadership is not given just so that leaders can run wild, right? When the, leader, when the scriptures set up positions of leadership, it's, it's careful to do so in a way that pleases the Lord, right? So, when the Bible places pastors in leadership, it's very careful to, to characterize, the, or the, to qualify the type of character that they're to have. Right? So it places a premium on character. Right? Paul doesn't just say, pick the most talented men and put them in leadership positions, but rather he says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, let him first know that he needs to be above reproach, the husband of one wife, not, not, not the only word I can think of is New American Standard, not pugnacious, okay? Maybe he needs to manage his own house well. In other words, his character is to, is to, be, he's to be known first for his character rather than his leadership gifts or, or skills. And if he fails to meet the qualifications, well, he's not to remain in a leadership position, but rather he's to, to, to live in a way that's consistent with Scripture. When the Bible places pastors in leadership, it, it sets the proper parameters as well on their leadership. Notice the words in this verse. It says, those who are over you, but he doesn't just stop and say those who are over you. He says, over you in the Lord. In other words, the, the in the Lord is the scope of pastoral leadership, that pastors don't have the responsibility to micromanage every detail of your life, but as it comes to matters that pertain to our, our life and godliness, well, then that's where pastoral leadership is responsible to, to serve and to lead and to care for God's people. Lastly, we see that the pastors, as, as, as the scripture sets up leader, our leadership, our task is to lead the church, but, but we serve under the authority of the congregation and as stewards of God's church. So it's an interesting phrase. In, in fact, I'll just, I'll just read it for you. Because in, uh, in, in Titus, I just I had a mind blank and I can't remember where Titus is. 
It's after 2 Timothy. He says, uh, he says he's, he's given the qualifications in, in Titus chapter 1. He says, um, if anyone's above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. And then he just makes this comment passing. Listen to this. He says, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. And the passing comment there is, is God's steward. In other words, it's, it's God's church. And, and when, when he places people in leadership over it, it's not their church. They are just a steward to faithfully care for what really belongs to Christ. And so pastors must be careful about how they use their authority in the life of their people. Mark Dever says it this way, pastoral authority is like soap. The more you use, the less you have, which I thought was a witty comment. So Paul is saying here that the congregation, they should recognize these individuals who have a responsibility to lead them. Now he says one more thing in verse 12, and he says this, that it includes admonition. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, this is the last words of this phrase. He says, these individuals, they, they labor among you, they are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. Okay, so the, the task of ministry at times involves this aspect of warning. Hey, you, you're, the road you're on is not a good one, and you need to turn back to the right road. And this is often, speaking from experience, one of the most challenging aspects of, of ministry. It is, it's hard to do well, and it's often not received well. So no, nobody wants to hear that what they're doing is, is not a, a good idea. Okay? We're, we're doing it because it's what we want to do. Okay? Now, over the course of my years here in pastoral ministry, there were times when Pastor David or Pastor Curry would say to me, hey, you're doing this and it's, it's not good. And my natural reaction, probably in your natural reaction in those situations, would be to resist that kind of, of warning. In, in my pride, I usually just assume they're wrong. Okay? And then, as the Spirit works, begins to humble me, it's like, no, they're, they're right. You know? and so then you have to say, you know, you're right, and thank you for caring for me enough to, to say this. And there's this weird dynamic of like you hate it, but you love it at the same time. Like you hate it because your pride is wounded and because somebody is speaking that kind of truth in your life and admonishing you. But you love it because you know that it sets you on the proper, the proper path. And Paul is, is saying to these brothers and, and he's saying to, to you that are here this morning, be humble enough to, and, and willing to receive warning and admonition from those who are over you in the Lord. Don't resist it in pride, but receive it in humility. Because it, it, it's, it's part of what it means to bring yourself under the care of, of, of shepherds. Right? It's part of what it means to recognize their leadership, is to, to bring yourself under their care in this way. See, here's the danger. If you are strongly resistant 
to admonition, then pastors will not want to admonish you in the future. And then the danger is, when you're not admonished, you end up staying on that road for longer than you really want to be. So while none of us like to either admonish or to receive admonition, we see here that the scripture lays this out for us so helpfully because we all need to be warned, hey, let's get back on the proper path. Now, as pastors, it can be very difficult to do this with tact, right? It's, it's hard enough to tell someone they're wrong, but then to do it tactfully is, 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 is a gift that only a few really nice people have that tact. It's especially difficult to do this in a way that's going to be received well. And this may be one of the reasons that Paul was giving these instructions, because perhaps there was a break in relationship between the leaders and the followers because of a lack of tact on the part of the, of the leaders. So just know that it's a, it's a challenge, but know that anytime we have lacked tact in our correction of you, it still comes from a heart of love and care to see you follow Christ in obedience. Okay, so this is the first request. Paul says, we ask you to recognize the, the, their God-given responsibility of your leadership. Okay, and then he goes on to describe what they are, their, their ministry. Now, the second thing he says here is, is this exhortation and request that they esteem them highly in love, verse 13. Okay, so the first request is that they acknowledge or recognize your leaders. Second request, verse 13, is that they esteem them highly in love. Now, this is what one commentator calls a triple intensive. And what's happening here is each word intensifies the statement. So Paul says, I want you to esteem them, meaning regard them highly. And then he intensifies it by saying, okay, esteem them or regard them. Then he goes on to say to do this very highly. And then he goes on to throw on this other set of words, in love. So he keeps building on his statement as to the, the attitude that the congregation is to have toward their pastors. Now, if verse 12 deals more with the action of affirming leadership, then verse 13 requests that these believers have an attitude of, of love and esteem for pastoral leadership. In other words, there is to be a deep affection and appreciation for those who serve in this capacity. Now, the reason Paul is saying this is, is, is likely because, over time, it can be easier to resent leadership than to appreciate it. Okay, we've probably all experienced this on some level. And, and I get it. Like, I, I often feel bad for those who are under my leadership. I've felt bad for my wife for like 18 years, you know, of being married to me. There are so many failures that I have and things that I fail to communicate or say, and she has to live underneath my leadership. And I feel bad for the congregation that way, right? You're, 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 you're living under imperfect pastors who make imperfect decisions, and, and, and you have to feel the weight of those decisions and, and live with them, right? So, so wise leaders feel the burden of having the final say on the decisions because they know that the people under their leadership are going to have to live with those decisions. Foolish leaders relish the privilege of making the decision. But wise leaders understand that it's a burden and a weight because their congregations have to live under those. So, so Paul says, folks, instead of resenting them, Esteem them 
in love with, with affection. Now he goes on in verse 13, and he says, notice he says, esteem them very highly. And he doesn't say because they're perfect. All right? So he doesn't say esteem them highly because they're perfect. But what does he say? Because of what? Because of their work. And I take this to mean because of the, the nature of their work. Or in other words, because of the value of their work and how important it is, well, esteem them very highly in love. So let's talk for a minute about the value of pastoral work. Look at two passages that I think sum up this well. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4 and the very last verse, verse 16, speaks of the, of the value of, of pastoral work. So in this context, he's giving Timothy all, all types of instructions. Back in verse 11, command and teach these things. Verse 12, set an example. Verse 13, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Verse Verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. But then he finishes with this command. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Okay, so watch out for your character and watch out for what you teach. Persist in this, he says. And then he says this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Okay, so this is, this is what the work of, of, of ministry does. It, it, it saves you and it saves your hearers. Now there's a question here as to what the word save means in this context. Okay, does it mean present salvation or sanctification? Or does it mean future salvation is, as in glorification? And, and it, may mean, it may mean one or the other. Or it, may mean, it may mean both of them. Okay? So when we use the word savior, it, it might have this idea of the task is worthy. Pay careful attention to yourself and to your teaching because as you do, you are sanctifying and building up in, in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ those who sit under your ministry as well as you're building yourself up in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? I listened to a sermon one time on the, the sanctifying effect of preaching on the preacher. Like Paul says, as Timothy, as Timothy, you work through the text and you minister the text to people that it has a sanctifying effect on, on the preacher. And so it may be that, that what he's saying here is that, that in verse 16, that when you save both yourself and your hearers, that you're building them up in sanctification, which is a worthy task. But it may also mean final salvation. That in other words, your ministry, Timothy, helps these believers make it all the way home to Jesus Christ. It's your responsibility to build them up into maturity and get them, get them all the way home to Christ. And again, Whichever the case is, this is a, a worthy task. So Paul says, esteem them highly because of their work. They're, they're seeking to build up the body to maturity to get them all the way home to Jesus Christ as a spotless bride. The second passage would be, if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 13. The second passage that, that identifies the value of the work would be Hebrews chapter 13. And this is in our scripture reading, verse 17. Verse 
He says this in verse, 13, in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. And then he gives the reason. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So the, the value of pastoral work is described in this verse in these terms. They watch over your souls and they give an account before the Lord for how they have, have cared. So the Lord has placed your souls in the care of, of the leaders here. We've been tasked with that responsibility and as a member you have placed yourself under, under that, that care. And we will give an account for how we have shepherded you in the Lord. And so because of the importance of this work, Paul says, listen, esteem these individuals with love, not because they're perfect, but because the task the Lord has given them is a noble and valuable task. So, Christ is returning, and so we're to build one another up, particularly build, building pastors up. So number one was was recognize their God-given responsibility. Number two, esteem them highly in love. But now we come back to 1 Thessalonians 5, and we see the third thing that he says in this passage. He finishes verse 13 with these words. He says, Be at peace among yourselves. Okay, so, so notice the phrase again. Read it again. He says, and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And then he has this random, be at peace among yourselves. Now, I'll admit there's confusion when it comes to verse 13 as to where this verse fits. Be at peace among yourselves. Okay, it may be that this is just an independent statement, just encouraging these brothers to peace. Or it may be that it's still connected with the, the exhortation to respect and esteem pastoral leadership. Okay? So let's assume that it's connected to the, to, the, to the command to esteem pastoral leadership. Well, then we need to ask a question, okay, what, what does he mean here by be at peace among yourselves? And here's the question. Is he talking about leaders and followers be at peace among themselves? Or is he talking about followers and followers be at peace among yourselves as a way to esteem your leaders in love. Okay, so let me just tease this out for you and show you what the, what the implications are, okay? If this is a, a call for pastors and members to be at peace with each other, then I think we should say, we've got to recognize it's certainly a needed command. Anytime you have people who are responsible to lead and you have people who are responsible to follow, there is inevitably going to be conflict that, that, that comes from it. So he's saying as a way to, to esteem them and love them, be at peace with them. He recognized they're not perfect, and it may take some patience to live under their pastoral care. Okay? But strive for a kind of peace with, with those who serve in this capacity. But if the command is for believers to be at peace with believers, and it's in this context of pastoral leadership, then what it's saying is that, that the most encouraging way for you to love and esteem your pastors is to live at peace with one another. Because as a pastor, one of the, 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 the most difficult things, one of the most challenging things, is, and one of the most discouraging things, is when the sheep don't get along with the other sheep. 
And so it's saying, if you want to love and honor your pastors, then, then live in peace with, with one another. Get along with one another. You, you've probably heard the expression, uh, a mother is only as happy as her saddest child. Okay? And probably all your mothers can identify with, with that comment. Well, it's a similar in pastoral leadership that a pastor is only as joyful as his congregation is peaceful. And that may be what the Apostle Paul is saying here. That if you want to esteem your pastors very highly in love, then live in peace with one another. In either case, we're to pursue peace. Whether it's with our pastors and our congregations or whether it's with one another. Right? We're reminded of Romans chapter 12, verse 18. These are some of my favorite words. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That about sums it up, right? If it's possible, as much as it depends on your effort, live at peace with all. So what should we do with this passage this morning? How should we apply it? I saw one sermon title in this passage, and the title of the sermon was, Have You Hugged a Pastor Today? (laughs) Which is funny, but I'm not really a hugger. All right, so maybe Pastor Mike or Pastor Brett, you guys would be interested in something like that. Uh, It's a helpful reminder, and I think especially in this context, because the Lord is returning. And in light of the fact that the Lord is returning, well, we've got the responsibility to encourage and to build one another up. And so as it relates to pastors, that means recognize their God-given responsibility in your life and, and happily bring yourself under their care. Esteem them highly in love because of how vital the work is. And as I've said, this will probably include a level of patience. And lastly, pursue peace both with your leaders and with the body of Christ. Because conflict is often a distraction from our mission of making and maturing disciples. And Satan would want to use that to distract us from the work of the Lord. And so if we pursue these things, then if there's any time left over, maybe we can have a hug. All right? Well, let's pray together, and we'll, we'll break from our study. Father, we're thankful for the sufficiency of Scripture and how it addresses uh, so many areas that, uh, that we need in our Christian life. And so thank you for the wisdom of your word this morning, and we pray, pray that what we've said and studied would be pleasing to you. Lord, we're thankful for the church and how you've established uh, godly men to, to lead, and through down the centuries you have preserved your word and you have continued to, 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 to grow your church through imperfect men who seek to serve you faithfully. So enable us and equip us as we serve here, and may you bring about a sweet peace between both the leaders and the congregation. 